Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 14. These scriptures will not only be uh, in your Bible, will be on the screen if you want to follow. There are many of you here today who've been praying for a breakthrough in your life. You've been needing for God to do something and um, seems to have not come yet. But I am firmly convinced today that if you'll be sensitive to the Holy Spirit as we pray at the conclusion of the Lord's Supper, that you'll get that breakthrough in your life, that God will touch you at your point of need. There's so many needs in this place, so many. I know it looks like we've got it all together, but only God knows the hurt, the pain, the difficulty, the discord, the tragedy, the things that you're facing. Only God knows. But I'm telling you, Jesus didn't come to leave you like you are. Jesus came to change you. Jesus came for you to have victory. And today, you just refuse unbelief. And you believe God to do in your life what God will do. In Luke 14, Jesus gives a parable. Now, you know, a parable was where Jesus took an earthly story to explain a spiritual truth. And he gave many parables of the mustard seed, of uh, on and on. He gave many parables. But this one was of a great supper. And so we begin reading in Luke 14, 16 through uh, 24. Listen to what he says. Then he said to him, a certain man gave a great supper and invited many and sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, come, for all things are now ready. But they all with one accord began to make excuses. The first said to him, I bought a piece of ground and I must go see it. I ask you, please have me excused. Still another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I have to go and try them out. I ask you, have me excused. And another said, I've married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So that servant came and reported these things to his master, then the master of the house, being angry, he was angry at the frivolous excuses given by those people for not coming to that great supper. He was angry. And the master of the house was angry. Then he, and, and being said to his servant, go out into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in here the poor, the maimed, the lame, and the blind. So the servant said, Master, it has been as you commanded, and there is room. Then the master said to the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges, and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say to you that none of those who are invited shall come to my supper. You know, Jesus tells this story of this great supper, and this is the reason why he told it. First of all, this supper was a great supper. 
And I don't know what Jesus meant by me, great. It may have been because of how many people were invited. It may have been because of the quality of the food. I don't know what. But the Bible says it was a great supper. And so they sent out invitations. Well, when the time came for this uh, supper, they sent the servant out. Now, see, they couldn't call them on the phone. They didn't have a phone. And all they told them is it's going to be this day, and they all live close together in those towns. When it's, when it's ready, our servant will come and tell you, and come on, because it's on the table, and you need to eat it. So it was ready. It was a great supper. The servant went out to invite the people. But you know what? They had shown an interest, basically had told the master that they were going to come. But then they begin with one accord to make excuses. And man, that, these are the most frivolous, ridiculous excuses I've ever heard. Now, now Jesus has got a spiritual truth he's laying a foundation for here. One of them said, you know, I, I tell you what, I have bought a piece of land. And I have to go see it. Please have me excused. Well, now, come on. You know he had already seen the land. I hope he didn't buy it without seeing it. You understand? You know he'd already seen it. And secondly, he would be there after the dinner. The land wasn't going anywhere. So what a ridiculous excuse. He said, please have me excused. i gotta go. got to go see my property. Well, then the other one said, now... Uh, I tell you what, I, I can't come, I can't come. He said, I bought five yoke of oxen. He bought ten oxen. And he said, uh, I've got to go try them out. I need to do a test run. They're giving me $100 for running the test run. You know, you've seen that on TV when you try out a car. But listen, he'd already bought them. It's a little late to be testing them out. And they weren't going anywhere he could have tested them after the supper. What a ridiculous excuse. He said, please have me excused. Well, the third one said, and he didn't even ask to be excused. He said, I cannot come. I've married a wife. But that's ridiculous. Let me tell you why. Every wife wants a free supper. And every wife doesn't want to have to clean up the kitchen. Oh, I guarantee you she wanted to go. But he said, I'm just going to tell him I got married and I can't come because I don't want to go. Those were absolutely ridiculous excuses. And let me ask you, show you what the master of the house was. Well, he, you know, he, 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 he was angry. It says here that he was angry at what uh, the excuses that the people gave. Now, What's the whole purpose of Jesus telling this parable? I believe it is this. You're going to see in the verses later in that chapter that Jesus was saying, listen, God has prepared great things for you. The master has prepared great things for you. And he's already made them ready. And I think he was talking about this. God has invited you to, to a personal relationship with him. 
I, I believe that was underlying. You, th- you see, I believe the master of the house was looking forward to having fellowship with all the people that came and enjoyed the good meal. I, I believe he was looking forward to that. And when they didn't come, he, he just got upset with them. And so I think Jesus is saying, now listen, the Father has prepared great things for you. He wants to get to know you. And he wants to have fellowship with you. And by the way, he wants to give you eternal life. You know, we we hear many definitions of what does it mean to be saved and what is eternal life. But you know, the most simple understanding is in John chapter 17, verse 3. And it says, and this is eternal life. Wait a minute, what is it, Lord? Man, I sure want eternal life. And this is eternal life. That they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Eternal life is not getting us out of earth into heaven. Eternal life is getting God out of heaven into us so that we can know him and have a personal relationship with him. You know, God created us in his image. And before Adam sinned, every day in the afternoon, God would go have a walk with Adam and just fellowship with him and Eve. It was glorious. But then Adam sinned and began to hide from God. But the heart of God has never changed. It has never changed. He said, look, I've prepared for you something greater than a supper. I have prepared it so that you can have a personal relationship with me through Jesus Christ. You can know me. You can hear my voice. And you can walk with me in your spirit every day. And he said, I've have a, I made an awesome, awesome presentation for you. Now, it costs something. You know, it costs something. I don't know what it cost the man to prepare the great supper. But it cost God dearly to give, prepare for us eternal life through his son, Jesus Christ. It was a great cost. Well, I imagine the master spent a lot on that dinner. But, it, but nothing can compare what it cost, cost God so that he could invite us. He can invite us to know him and to have fellowship with him, and to be a part of his family. You know, uh, at the end of the service, well, no, not at the end, in the, toward about a few minutes from now, we, we're going to have a meal. Did you know that? Yeah, we're going to have a meal. I love the fact that it's uncovered. You know, what a meal. God has prepared for us. What a meal. You know, there's unleavened bread. Now, I'm going to keep this neat, this one myself, so don't think you're going to get mine, okay? (laughs) You know, he prepared a meal for us. It's unleavened bread. A picture of the sinless life of Jesus Christ that he offered up. Jesus was a lamb without spot and blemish. He was the last Adam who never sinned, 
sin. He was in all points tempted like we are, yet without sin. He was the only person that did not have to die. Sin had no claim on him, none. He was sinless. And so here, in this meal, I've got the unleavened bread, a picture of the sinless life of my son. And this is his body, which was broken for you. But then, as a part of the meal, you know, there is the fruit of the vine. And you know, that's a picture, a symbol of the precious blood of Jesus Christ. You remember I said that uh, what God has prepared for us and God, what God has offered to us is much greater than a meal. He's offered to us eternal life through his son, Jesus. He said that you can know me, the God who created you. You can walk with me, the God who created you. You can have fellowship with me. He said, I know your name. The hairs of your head are numbered. If a sparrow falls to the ground, I know it. How much more valuable are you to me than a sparrow? And see, the heart of God is for fellowship with his creation. The heart of God is to be one with his creation. You know why Jesus came? Listen, God was in Christ reconciling the world, reconciling us to himself. We were separated, so Jesus came. Ever since Adam sinned, they were separated. So Jesus came so we could be reconciled, be reconciled through the death of his son. And so God said, I want you to remember my death. I want you to remember why I died. I want you to remember what was purchased and paid for by my son. That's why we have a meal very regularly called communion. It's called the Lord's Supper. And in that meal, God reminds us, hey, I prepared for you something far greater than a supper. I have made it possible for your sins to be forgiven. I made it possible for you to be changed on the inside and live different on the outside. You know the difference between religion and Christianity? Religion is outward pressure to keep the rules. Oh, outward pressure. Now you gotta do this, you can't do that, you gotta do this, you can't do that, you gotta do th That's religion. You gotta keep this ordinance, you gotta be in this church, you gotta do this thing, you gotta, no, 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 no. Religion is outward pressure to keep the rules. Salvation is Christianity is God changes on the inside. He changes us on the inside. And we do things not because we have to, but because we want to. The Bible says God has written his law in our hearts and in our minds. And you know, I have found since I have that personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ, I have found exactly what you have found. There's a lot of things I could do, but I choose not to because my want to's been changed. It's not what it used to be. I used to run to sin. Praise God, now I'm running from it. 
And that's what happens. I mean, God get changes us on the inside, and we love him, and we obey him, and we follow him, and we keep his word. Why? Not because we have to, because we, we want to. God has given us a new nature, the very nature of his son. Old things are passed away, and all things are become new. So God invites us to a supper. Let me tell you a couple things about Jesus. Did you know the Bible says he's the bread of life? What a picture of Jesus. In John chapter 6, I want you to listen to this. I mean, it, it is so vivid. The, 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 the example of it was given when, when the Israelites disobeyed God and they had, did have no of food. And so God gave them manna from heaven, gave them bread from heaven for 40 years. And they lived on manna. And manna was something that had made out of coriander seed and all kind of stuff. The Bible describes what manna was. But uh, I think one time they got uh, to whining and God sent some quail. But you know, you better be careful what you ask God to give you. He sent so much, it was three feet deep. Everywhere they went, they stepped on the quail. But I think I would want something beside manna. You can have baked manna, stewed manna, stirred manna, manna and dumplings. But I mean, that's a, I mean, come on. But God gave them bread from heaven. But then that was all a type of Jesus who's the bread of life. Now, bread gives life. Look in John 6. And you'll see where it says in verse 32. John 6, 32. Then Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. He said the manna Moses gave, that was just temporary. He didn't give the true bread, but God gave the true bread from heaven. And he said, the true bread from heaven was he who would come and give life. You see, Jesus came to give life. The devil's a murderer and a liar, a murderer. Jesus came to give life. He said, the true bread from heaven is he that came to give life to the world. And then Jesus said in verse 33, I am the bread of life. Verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will, he who comes to me and the one, let me get back in that verse. He who comes to me will never hunger and he who believes in me will never thirst. Now I want you to listen to this. You can search, you can look, you can long, but you'll never be satisfied until Jesus is the one who satisfies your heart. Jesus said, he who comes to me will never hunger. Once you've met Jesus, all this world offers is a bunch of stale bread with worms in it. Jesus is the bread of life. And he said, when you come to me, I'm going to satisfy the deepest need of your heart. You, and I'm going to satisfy that longing you had for fellowship with God. And you will never hunger and you will never thirst after the things of this world. 
And man, I'm thinking about the meal where God said, there's going to be bread, living bread. And that is Jesus. He said in verse 37, all the, that Father gives me will come to me. And he that comes to me, I will know eyes cast out. Over in verse 47, uh, Jesus talks about him being the bread of life. Now, you've got to understand something. This meant a lot to the people Jesus was speaking to. For the main ingredient of all their meals was bread. They made bread. They didn't have refrigeration like we have now. They couldn't go buy prepackaged meals. And I guarantee you at every meal, if you've ever been to the Holy Land, I mean, you're going to have bread. You're just going to have it. That's the way it is. I don't like these restaurants where they go and don't give you no bread. What's wrong with that? I mean, I can't live on a captain's wafer. I mean, come on. Bread was a stable. And, and he says over in verse 47, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and died. This is the bread which comes from heaven and that one may eat it and not die. Well, Jesus not only said that he was the bread of life. He said in John 7, 37, he was the living water. <laughs> he said, you drink of me and you, don't, you, you won't be thirsty for anything else. Listen to what he says in John 7, 37. On the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart shall flow rivers of living water. This spoke he of the Spirit that those who believed in him would receive. The Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Hey, so... I mean, Jesus said, now I know there's a, uh, there's a need in your life for that which satisfied. He said, I, I'll, I'll satisfy you. He said, I'll give you abundant life. I am abundant life. And, and I, I'll, I'll, I'll take care of that hunger and I'll take care of that thirst. He said, I'm living water. And you know, he invites us to come. He invites us to come. He invites us. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God gave his son so we, we could know the bread of life and the water of life. He that believes in him is not condemned. He that believes not is condemned already. So God's prepared for us far more than a meal. Now, the meal that the master prepared for those he invited, it was free. No charge, didn't have to have a ticket, but they just made excuses and didn't come. Just made excuses and didn't come. I want to talk to you about salvation. It is free. It is a gift from God. But it's the most costly thing in the world. Do you, you know, silver and gold, you know, they're saying now you, you need to buy gold and you need to buy silver because the American dollar one day won't be worth anything. I don't know about that. I don't know. The only gold I got is two rings, you know. And I guess that'll hold me, you know. I mean, I don't know. I got a silver platter they gave me to church when I left. They were so glad to see me leave. And, uh, <laughs> and all I know is it's silver plated. It ain't solid silver. That's it. Now, some of you got plenty of gold and silver. I know that. But I'm going to tell you what the Bible says. 
about salvation. You were not redeemed, purchased, paid for by corruptible things like silver and gold. He said in the light of how you redeemed, silver and gold is corruptible things. You were redeemed not with corruptible things like silver or gold, but with the precious. Oh, that's what this is all about. The blood of Christ. But with the precious blood of Christ. What a price Jesus paid so that I could come to the supper. What a price he paid so that I could have fellowship with God the Father. You were redeemed not with corruptible things like silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without spot and without blemish. You know, let me read you something about the cost. Then I'm going to get right on to the last part and then we're going to have the meal together. But I want to show you what it cost God for you to have fellowship with him. You see, the most important thing in the world is not only to have a relationship with God. God is your father because Jesus is your savior. But it's not only important to have a relationship with him. It's important to have fellowship with him. Fellowship every day. What a friend we have in Jesus. They sang, played so beautifully on the violin and the piano. Nearer my God to thee, nearer to thee. That's my prayer. I shall be nearer my God to thee. He said, I want, I want fellowship with you, Lord. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 12 through 14, it is absolutely awesome. Listen at this. This is what it cost for us to come to the supper. Not with the blood of calves, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood. He entered the most holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Jesus went into heaven to the holy of holies and obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, Cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. So, God says, I've prepared salvation for you. He said, I want you to know I want you to come. You know what it says in Matthew chapter 18, verse 11? The Son of Man has come to seek and to save those who are lost. God says, I want you to come to the dinner. I want you to come to the supper. And that supper is that you, you let me be, be, be your father, Jesus, your Lord and Savior. And he said, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save those who are lost. In 1 Peter 3, 9, he says, God is willing that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Not only confessing your sin, but turning from them. It's one thing to confess it. It's another thing to say, by the power of God, I'm walking away from it. The only sin you've really repented of is the one you no longer practice. And so repentance is not just a confession of sin. It's by the grace of God you walk away from it. He says, God is willing that none should perish, 
but that all should come to repentance. Luke 15, 10, there's joy in the presence of angels in heaven over one sinner that repents. Well, there's one thing that we need to look at for just a moment. They all began to make an excuse. Can I ask you a question? What's your excuse? Why haven't you come to the supper? Why aren't you living in an intimate, personal relationship with the Father through the precious blood of Christ and the gift of his righteousness? What's your excuse? I mean, what's your excuse? You begin to talk to people about Jesus, about forgiveness of sin, about eternal life, about living a righteous life and a holy life, and they all, with one accord, begin to make excuses. Well, let, let me tell you some of them I've heard over the years. I'm not going to spend much time. You say, well, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I don't want anything to do with the church. All they want is your money. Have you ever heard that? Oh, all the church wants your money. Well, that's not true. The church does say this. The love of money is the root of all evil, so you need to check your heart. Maybe money is your God. The Bible says, warn them are rich in this world not to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives them all things to enjoy. But you know, if I say, oh, the church just wants your money. Hey, by the way, the restaurant wants your money. The movie theater wants your money. Ain't nothing worth going to see, but it still wants your money. And I promise you that, that uh, you know, everybody wants your money. You go to the ball game, they want your money. I saw where a ticket to the Iron Bowl this year is going to be $817. Woo! They really want your money. The college wants your money. Tuition, you know, I want your money. The casino wants your money. Oh, but you don't go to the casino. I know that. Why do you think I got all those bright lights? They used to fly people to the casinos and put them up in a big hotel. Why? Because they would love them? No, they want their money. When you drive in a casino, I hope to goodness you'll never go in the parking lot. But when you do, you see all those lights, you say, who's paying those light bills? You are. Who's paying for all the people walking around trying to get you to take another drink? You are. Hey, don't, don't talk about the church wants your money. You say, well, let me tell you something, brother. There's too many hypocrites in the church. I've never denied that. In fact, Jesus dealt strongly with the Pharisees. They were a bunch of hypocrites. Now, what is a hypocrite? It's a person who pretends to be something that they are not. They pretend to be righteous. They pretend to be godly. They pretend to love Jesus. They pretend to live a righteous, but they don't. You know, they cheat, they steal, they lie. They get out in the world. They say, well, I'm a Christian, but they live like the devil. I mean, I know what a hypocrite is, but let me tell you something. The church is not the only place there's hypocrites. You know, some doctors are hypocrites. They, they don't do what they say they're going to do. Now, don't, I mean, the doctors aren't perfect. You say, Brother Fred, you mean some doctors are hypocrites? I know they are. I've been to some of them. <laughs> let, let me tell you another thing. Some lawyers are hypocrites. One lawyer got in trouble and gave the other thousand a bad reputation. I don't have to tell you that some lawyers, there, there are a lot of good doctors, thank God. I got some good ones and I'm going to them, but I've had some bad ones. They just weren't what they pretended to be. And, and there's some good lawyers. 
But let me just say one thing. There's some that are charlatans. But they're hip- so you're not going to quit going to the doctor because some, all doctors aren't perfect. You're not going to quit using lawyers because all lawyers are not perfect. And you, by the way, some politicians are hypocrites. So you're going to quit voting? You don't understand. They're hypocrites in every area of life. Some school teachers are hypocrites. They just arrested this guy up in, in Bruton or somewhere. That it, it, It's amazing the wickedness that that man did as he led the band. I mean, hey, but I'm not going to quit going to, my kids going to school because they're good doctors and good lawyers and, and good politicians and good teachers. We got a good one in our church. First real job he's ever had. I love the kid Jerry Carl. <laughs> he had one of those jobs where he was a supervisor. Now he's got everybody's problems. But he's, he's doing a great job, though. So to, to all the church wants his money. The hypocrites in the church, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. I mean, I know there's a supper, and I know I've invited. I know I, God's provided for me to be saved, but I'm not ready. I'm not ready. Okay. I don't have time. I don't have time. Uh, maybe later I'll have time, but I don't have time. Um, I love my lifestyle. I love my lifestyle. Don't mess with my lifestyle. I enjoy what I'm doing. You know, uh, um, I visited this guy because his wife was coming to church, and, and, uh, and he wasn't coming, and, and I went really to invite him to come. He said, well, I'm going to tell you up front, Brother Fred, I drink beer. I said, that's not what I came to talk to you about. I didn't come to talk to you about the good or bad qualities of drinking beer. I just want you to come to church and hear about Jesus. He said, well, I'm not going to quit drinking beer. I said, that's not between me and you. Well, eventually, he got saved. Three months later, he came up to me and said, I don't drink beer anymore. You say, but Brother Fred, one beer. Let me say one thing. I've never seen anybody walk out of a grocery store with one beer in their hand. Lord, they've got cases now that'll break your arm carrying them out of the grave. <laughs> See, you just loved your lifestyle. And don't go out saying, Brother Fred said everybody's drinking beer is going to hell. Somebody said, I said that. I hadn't said that. It may help you get there quicker, but I'm not saying it's going to. <laughs> but it's excuses. Well, I'm too bad. I'm too bad. Praise God, you've got hope because you're not too bad. That's the one. But, oh, this is the one that's got, well, I, I'm good enough. I'm just as good as people down at the church. I'm just as good as they are. I didn't say you weren't, but we're not trusting in our good works. We're trusting in the righteousness of Jesus. Hey, we're not going to measure each other by good works. With one, with one accord, they begin to make excuse. What's your excuse for not going on with God, for not being strong in the Lord, for not being serious about your Christian life, for not growing in the faith and knowledge of Jesus Christ, for not getting nearer to him day by day. What's your excuse? The master of the house was angry. Well, I'm just going to read one scripture to you and then we're going to Pray and have the Lord's Supper. Then we're going to pray for you. You know, uh, the Bible says, now this is very sobering, 
There's only one sacrifice for sin. And that Jesus made that sacrifice. And the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 10, what if somebody rejects that sacrifice? What if somebody makes an excuse and rejects that one sacrifice? What happens to them? This verse used to scare me to death. It is the most sobering passage in all the Word of God, I think. In Hebrews 10, 26, you know, the master of the house got angry when they started making excuses and didn't come. It says in Hebrews 10, 26, if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. Now, let me tell you what that verse means. Somebody comes to you and says, now listen, God loves you. Jesus Christ died for every one of your sins. All that you need to be saved and stay saved, God has already provided. The supper is ready. And if you'll repent, God, I not only confess I'm a sinner, but I'm willing to turn away from them, and I don't want to live that kind of life. If you'll repent and trust Jesus Christ and him only as your Lord and Savior, then you, you've come to the supper. You haven't made an excuse. He said, but once you know that Jesus has made the sacrifice and everything you need to be saved is there and you refuse the sacrifice, there's no other sacrifice. If you willfully go on sinning, after you receive the knowledge of the truth, there's no longer a sacrifice for sins. But a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. Now listen to this. Anyone who rejected Moses' law died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of how much greater punishment Will you suppose, do you suppose will he be worthy who trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant with which he was sanctified an unholy thing, and you have insulted the Spirit of grace? He said, you know, when you reject the sacrifice, you know what you do? There's no other sacrifice. Now, you know what you do? You trample the Son of God under your feet. I just read the Bible now, y'all. You, you trample him under your feet. You count the blood that he shed an unholy thing. And you know what you do? You insult the grace of God. That is sobering. And you know what it says in verse 31? We don't hear much about this. It says, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. You know, people laugh about it. They mock Jesus. I don't believe in the cross. I don't believe in his shed blood. I don't believe in the church. It's a bunch of hypocrites. All they want is your money. They just make it you. But one day, one day, since they refused the only sacrifice that God provided, and they have trampled the Son of God under their feet, and counted the blood of his covenant an unholy thing, 
and have insulted the spirit of grace. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. That's not my words. That's God's words. And God always keeps his word. And it will not pass.